Well, good morning. It is really good to see you. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. And um, <laughs> I want to start doing what I used to do at camp. If you can hear my voice clap one time. All right, I'm just making sure everybody's listening now. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're welcoming one another. That's great. So let me just encourage you to, to look at the worship guide real quick and see some of the things that are taking place. Um, you'll find a little um, envelope in the brochure. You'll hear more about that in just a moment. But um, also, the ladies, tonight is a well gathering. Please make plans to be here. That means these two center sections stay up when we leave today. So if you're sitting there, you hit the jackpot. You don't have to put your chair up today. And then you can see the other things that are well uh, as well. The Discipleship University has started off. It's time to get involved in those classes. I'm teaching mine at 9 o'clock in the morning and then also at 6.30, same Bible study. So you can come one to the, or the other. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? Some of you are. The rest of you, I hope you're awake. Go, maybe go get some coffee during the welcome. Why don't you stand up and greet each other? We're glad you're here. All right. You be seated. It is good to see all of you here today. It really is good to see fall coming and everybody getting back together. We're glad you're here. I, um, I want to introduce to you um, uh, Gary Hollingsworth. He's going to come in just a moment and talk to you about mission dignity. His wife, Gwen, is back there next to Laura Gunnels. They, I didn't realize Gary did um, Shannon and Laura's um, wedding. I told him he should have done a better job with the counseling on Laura's side. But uh, <laughs> Shannon's back there worshiping. No, um, I love them. But Gwen's back there with them. But he's going to come in just a moment. I told the earlier service, if you're really glad I'm here, you can um, thank Gary after the service because he gave my resume to the search committee. If you're not glad that I'm here, you can blame Gary and come talk to him after the service and tell him why I shouldn't be pastor. So, uh, but tell him, don't tell me, please. And so, but Gary was pastor at First Baptist Trustful for years. He and his wife grew up in the church in Huntsville that I pastored, and his, um, Gwen's parents were there, um, and, and I had a blast. I, we've got great stories about the Beemans. And, um, so, but they are here. He went on to Arkansas and pastored a church and then went to, um, to uh, South Carolina where he was the executive director there. We had Rick Lance here a couple weeks ago. He, he did what Rick does here. But Gary's now working with 
with Guidestone, and he's, um, they do Mission Dignity, and he's going to tell you more about that as soon as we play this video. So Chris, if we can play the video on, on Mission Dignity, and then Gary's going to share about it. Throughout the pages of the Bible, the olive tree is often mentioned. In fact, it's one of the most highly valued trees known to the ancient Jews. Olive trees and Mission Dignity recipients have a lot in common. They're resilient. They symbolize and represent witnesses for God. And they continue to produce fruit even in their old age, many continuing their ministry throughout retirement. It came to my attention about Leeds Housing Authority. There's 158 apartments there, and people were hungry, and they had needs, and they needed prayer. So we moved there not really knowing exactly what we were going to do. God told me this one thing, I will give you what you need to do what I call and need you to do. There's no words to describe what a difference Mission Dignity has made in our lives. Mission Dignity helps me because I have a pulpit on my front porch and people who I cannot get to come to, come to church. That's, that's our theme. We take the church to them and build a bridge where I can get them back to the church. My husband and I were home missionaries. We served in the Great Lakes area, Illinois, Indiana. We mainly did church planting, and I suppose we started 20 or 25 churches. Mission Dignity has impacted my life by allowing me to remain in the ministries I have in the church here, by helping me pay the expenses to live here and to stay here uh, at Regency Point. We have four uh, Southern Baptist pastors that come on a weekly basis. So we have church on Sunday, hymn singing on Monday, and Bible study on Tuesday. And I am very, very grateful. We pastor small churches. We never did have as much money as we would have liked, but God gave us what we needed. The Lord's not done with us yet. He still wants us to minister, bear fruit, bless others. And I think um, through Mission Dignity, we'll be able to do that more. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the life to come. And Mission Dignity is serving me so I can serve others. Mission Dignity helps more than 2,800 individuals every year with extra money needed for housing, food, and vital medications. Many of these pastors led some of us to faith, and as they face advancing age, illness, and death of a spouse, it's our turn to take care of our family with prayer, financial assistance, and a sense of security. Mission Dignity provides a lot of security for me, a lot of security and a lot of peace. 100% of your gift helps a retirement age pastor or widow in need. I just want to say to all donors that contribute to Mission Dignity, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And my husband, were he here, would thank you too for picking up the baton where he had to lay it down and run in the race so that I could finish mine. Please give to these faithful servants today.
Pastor John and Kim, just love them so very much, and it's great to be with you today uh, here at First Baptist Church. And uh, I do want to say thank you for, not just to your pastor for allowing me this moment, but also thank you for your support of Mission Dignity. You heard there uh, on the video, and there is a little brochure uh, that will tell you a bit more about that. And I would just remind you that uh, one of the, the things that will qualify someone to receive uh, help through Mission Dignity uh, is that not only 10 years or more of serving in some capacity in a Southern Baptist church, but that they are now living at or below the poverty level uh, as a couple or as an individual. 70% of the over 2,800 recipients that you saw there on the, the video, 70% of them, this won't surprise you, but they're widows. and. Uh, it is the difference for many of them between meals and medication. And so I just want to let you know that uh, all of the contributions, 100% of all the contributions that anyone might give goes directly to the recipients. All of the administrative costs are covered by Guidestone. And so you can know that anything that you give uh, would go directly to those, uh, those recipients. So uh, please be aware of the fact that uh, without the, the faithful giving of churches like First Baptist and individuals like yourself, my wife and I, we have long been contributors on a monthly basis. Uh, you can do that as well. There are a variety of ways to give. That'll give you a little bit more information about that. Or just go on the Mission Dignity website, missiondignity.org, and it would also tell you a little bit more about it. So John, it's so good to be reconnected with you in our retirement years. As I think I, you quoted this morning, my wife told me she wasn't looking for more of me and less money, so I had to do something. So anyway, I'm working a little part-time uh, to raise awareness for Mission Dignity, and it is a joy to be with you here today at First Baptist. John, thank you, my brother. Good morning. Today's scripture is Obadiah 1, 15 through 18. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they never had, had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble, and they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's continue to worship, church. Let's stand. We are here to worship our Lord, our God, our Savior. It's so good to be together as we celebrate who He is. Cheers. 
mountains shake before him, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in heaven or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great I am, the great I am, the great I am, the great I Let's pray together. Would you join me? Oh, Father, we come before you and we praise you today. You are the great I am. You have always been, you are, and you always will be. And you tell us that you're never changing. And we praise you for that. And we thank you. God, I just pray that you would be with us today as we come to your word. I lift up everyone who is sitting here today, those who are watching at home and Father, I just pray that as we draw near to you, as we'll see in just a moment, knowing that you draw near to us, that, Holy Spirit, you would minister to the needs of those who are in this room, those who are watching. I know that there are those who are hurting. I know that there are those who are sick. There are those who are in need. We lift them to you. We pray, Father, for your healing hand, for your comforting hand. We pray, Father, for your hand of provision. We also know that there are those in our families who are lost. There are those who are walked away, and we're asking, God, that you would draw them back, that you would draw them to yourself, that they'd be saved, that they would return. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask as we come to your word that you would sanctify us with the truth of your word, that you would help us, that you would speak to us. I wonder if just as we continue to pray, just for a moment, would you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through his word? God, hear our prayer and speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're making our way through the, the book of James, and we've come to chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I invite you to turn there. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And he gets very practical today. And it's, it's, um, it's one of my favorite sections of James as we look at this. 
So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading and the preaching of God's Word. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Look at that again. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, we saw these words. We, he, James said, my brothers, sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And if you remember, we, we looked at that little phrase, the Lord of glory, and what he's saying is that Jesus is the all-glorious one. And I tried to show you then and I'll remind you now that, that, that everything changes when we begin to see Jesus in light of being the all-glorious one. It's the secret to the Christian living, that we look toward Jesus as being all-glorious and nothing else compares to Him. We follow Him and we, we adjust our lives accordingly because He is the all-glorious one. In chapter 3, verse 13, we saw who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, that little phrase, by his good conduct, in the original language, good conduct is just one word, and it, it speaks of that which is beautiful. And if we looked at it, we said that, that our lives, as we, as we look at Jesus as the all-glorious one, our, our lives should be lived showing the beauty of who Jesus is. So we're to live beautiful lives. The world sees enough of the ugly. They, they see the, the corruption that's around us. They, they, they hear and see the, the sin. And, and what they need desperately is for the church to focus our eyes on Jesus as being all glorious and live as if he is the most beautiful person in the world. We live our lives with Jesus being all glorious and being all beautiful. And, and when we live like that, everything changes. Everything changes. I told you last week, if, I think if we could do it over again, I would have just covered that whole section in one, one, one big section because it's, it's breaking it up makes it hard to, to deal with all the, the words that James has said because he's, he spoke of the, of the power of the tongue and he says the, the tongue is lit on fire by, by the fires of hell. He speaks of the wisdom of the world and he says it's demonic. And, and then he, chapter 4, he talks about the quarrels and the wars that are among us. And, and he shows that the source of that conflict is from within us. It's selfish ambition. It's jealousy. It's, it's desire that's not met in Christ. It's desire outside of Jesus as the all-glorious one. The cause of the ugly, the cause of the quarrels and the wars is, is that we're, we're living and desiring things outside of the beauty of Jesus Christ. The desire is not met, and, 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 and the desire for, for worldly fulfillment, desire for, for worldly fulfillment coming in friendship with the world, as James talked about, leads us to what James called spiritual adultery. He says God expects faithfulness from us. 
it's right for me to expect Kim to be faithful to me and, and for Kim to expect me to be faithful to her. We're, we're married. We exchange vows. And what the Bible is showing us is that, that God expects us to be faithful to Him in our relationship. And when we're not faithfully, we commit spiritual adultery. But what we'll see today is not only does God expect us to be faithful to Him, He shows us that we can expect Him to be faithful to us. He gives us grace upon grace. He, 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 he meets our sin with His grace. If you remember last week, I said that there's more grace in God than there is sin in us, and that's always true. But remember how he closes it out. We'll see it in just a moment. There's just like a bookend between both of these sections. He closes it out by saying, but God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So how do we live humble lives that bring grace? I think that's the question James is dealing with. How do we live in such a way if God's grace comes to the humble and he opposes the proud, how do we live in such a way that we are the recipients of God's grace and, and not the objects of God's opposition? That's a serious question. And it's an area that we have to deal with in our lives. And, and so I would just put it before you today. You, you can choose. You can choose to live under God's grace or live under his opposition. I'd say to you, you'd be a fool to choose opposition because he's all powerful. He's all present. He's all wise. But we can live under his grace. And what's interesting is if you look at this as James writes it, remember James is, is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to Jewish Christians who, who have been dispersed. He's writing to Jewish people. It's the first book of the New Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. And what he does is interesting because he gives them, in, in the Greek language, he gives them 10 commandments. Does that sound familiar? I hope that sounds familiar to you today. Ten commandments to Jewish people. Now, we're not going to look at all ten, but, but you can walk through these and see them as you walk through the Scripture. Even in the English language, you can see the ten commandments that are there. But I want to sum it up in five things. And the very first one drives the rest, okay? What we find here is a, an act of allegiance. We must have an active allegiance to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, I know it's redundant. I've been saying it so much over these years. But the therefore causes you to ask the question, what's it therefore? So you see that therefore. Well, that therefore is based on the previous verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Because he opposes the proud, because he gives grace, submit to him. Now, we, we don't appreciate the word submit, do we? We don't appreciate it at all. And, and we hear it. We, we hear it from overbearing men who, who speak to their wives and tell them to submit. And we, we hear it from other people in life. But I want you to see that, that there has to be a place in our life where there's no doubt who it is we serve. And if we're going to serve God, then, then we must submit to God. 
We must submit our lives to him and, 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 and understand that he's God and we're not, that he's Lord and we're not, and he gets to tell us what to do. We don't get to tell him what to do. It comes to us in this, this, this relationship of understanding who he is, but also in this submission that we, that we understand who we are. The word submit is, is an active word. It, it, it's a compound word in, in, in the Greek language. It, it's made up of two words, to arrange and under. To arrange under. What he's telling us is to arrange our lives under God. Arrange our lives under God. It's, it's a military term that is used to, to rank under. If, if you're in the military, you, you very quickly understand rank. You understand that the private is not above anyone, and, 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 and everyone's over him. But as you grow in your rank, you have people under you and still have people over you. And, and, and in the military, if, if a buck private begins to act like a major general, there's a problem. If a buck private begins to act like a major general, it's called insubordination. If he goes too far with it, <coughs> excuse me, it's called impersonating an officer. Well, I want you to understand this. In the Bible, when creation begins to act like they're the creator, it's insubordination. When we begin as created beings to try to act like we're the creator, it is impersonating the creator. And the Bible has a simple little word for that, and it's called sin. Submission is a part of our daily life. It has to be in our culture. We submit to the police. We submit ourselves to the teacher. We submit ourselves to, to the coach. We submit ourselves to our boss. And in marriage relationship, we submit ourselves to one another. But, but all of that flows from our submission to God. Without submission, our culture would be in chaos. And we see that sometimes. But without submission in the church, we fall under God's opposition. We start with active allegiance, submit yourselves therefore to God, but then we move to active opposition. There's something to oppose. Resist the devil. That's the command. Resist the devil. Here's the promise. He'll flee from you. Look at that. Look at that incredible promise. Submit yourselves therefore to God Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The command, resist. The promise, he'll flee from you. Listen to me. I, I want you to hear me again. I've said this many times. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Satan has no power over you except that which is granted to him. Satan is not an autonomous being. He cannot do anything he wants to do. He is not omnipotent, he is not omnipresent, and he's not omniscient. He's not everywhere, he's not all-powerful, he doesn't know all things. The, 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 I think it was the Puritans that, that would say that, that, that even the devil was God's devil. And what they meant by that is the devil only could do what God allowed him to do. We just look at Job's life and see that. Understand that, that as a born-again believer— you have within you the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the enemy and know that he will flee from you. He has no power over you. 
You have God inside of you. Now, it's not that we, we go out and carry the attack to the enemy camp. It's not that we organize and go rushing on the enemy camp. The idea is, it's not that we go looking for war. The idea is that we are at war. Understand that you're at war. You don't have to go looking for it. You're there. It's already coming to your doorstep. It's, it's coming through your phone. It's coming through your television. It's coming at work. It's coming in, on the radio or the music. Everywhere you go, it's coming at you. We are at war. We were born at war. Unfortunately, we were born on the wrong side. All of us were, were born and conceived in sin, and we were born with a sinful nature, and we had to be born again. But the moment we were born again, we no longer fight against God. We, we are now fighting with God. God is the victor. We, we fight from that victory, but we're fighting against a common enemy. Resist is, is again, it's a military term like submit. It, it means to active, actively resist. It's not that idea that came to us in, I don't know, 60s or 70s in the church. Well, just let go and let God. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to take a stand. And the way the church takes a stand is with the truth. Learn from Jesus. The enemy comes after him in the wilderness. And what does Jesus do? He confronts it with the truth of God's word. All that's coming at us and all that comes against the church and all that comes against the Word of God and our culture today needs to be fought back with truth. Train your children with truth. Train yourself with truth. Train your children with truth and your grandchildren with truth and your great-grandchildren with truth. Bring them up in the truth of God's Word. The Bible says when we do that, He flees from us. Now, that doesn't mean He leaves us for good. Man, I wish it did. Martin Luther, I, I told this in the early service, Luther would often sit at his desk and he would write with his fountain pen and his ink well. And every now and then in doing the work of the Reformation, he would feel the presence of Satan in the room. And they said that he would yell at Satan and literally throw his ink well at Satan. I don't think that's what he means when he says, resist the devil. You may need to throw something at him. You may need to throw your remote or throw your computer or whatever it takes. Throw that phone and throw it and get rid of it. But understand this, when he's talking about this, he's, he's meaning that, that if you resist, he goes away, but not for good. He'll come back. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? He, he confronts Jesus three times and Jesus confronts him back with the word of God. And the Bible says that he left him for a more opportune time. He comes at you in all different ways. I told the first service yesterday, um, I went outside and man, I was enjoying that cool weather. I, I know what's coming this week. And so I'm sitting out there and, and, and I slept in a little bit and had some time and sitting there praying and I was praying through the fruit of the Spirit. And I was asking God just to help me to, to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And, and I wrote it in my journal, y'all. I wrote, God, I don't want to be grumpy today. My girls were coming and my, my grandchildren were coming. I said, God, I don't want to be grumpy today. I want to be full of your joy. Wrote that prayer out. Shouldn't have ever written that prayer out. Because <laughs> I closed my journal, closed my Bible, bring it all inside, go out, get on my lawnmower. I get ready to go cut the grass. I get to the backyard. That's where I'm going to start. Engage the blade to cut the grass. And it goes, 
goes out. Well, I do all I know how to do mechanically. I check to see if it had gas. I check to see if it had oil. And that's it. And then I did what I know to do. I called Terry Chisholm. Yeah. But I'm going to be real honest. I was grumpy about that lawnmower. I sat there and tried to start it and tried to start it and tried to start it and flooded it out. And I was mad. I said, I don't keep believing. All I want to do is mow the yard before the kids get here. Why is all this? And then KJ comes over. Daddy, what you doing? Can I sit on your lawnmower? You can't sit on the lawnmower. Leave me alone. I'm trying to get it started. You know, I'm grumpy. <laughs> and I walked away. And I just said, Lord, I see what you did. I asked you to help me have joy, and you gave me a chance to have joy, and I failed. You see, Satan's a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. I tell my girls all the time when they were growing up, you're never more like the devil than when you lie. He's the father of lies, and that's all he knows to speak, and, and he seeks to blind you. Corinthians tells us he's already blinded those who are lost. Our eyes have been veiled. They've been blinded and they need to be opened with the truth and the power of God's word. He masquerades as an angel of light. I saw a little clip the other day. I don't even know who the preacher was. It didn't tell, but, but he was talking about it. He says, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look down from our redeemed eyes and we're going to see Satan for who he is. And we're going to say, we fell for that. We lost our marriage over that. We lost our business over that. We lost our integrity over that. We lost everything we have over that. Jesus is the all-beautiful one. Satan comes simply to masquerade as a beautiful one, but he is, he is not beautiful in and of himself. He's a deceiver and he's an accuser. And Jesus said his goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy your life. And the only thing we can do is in the power of Jesus is stand against him with the truth of God's word and stand against him in the power of his Holy Spirit. Submitting to God and resisting the devil are linked. You can't resist the devil unless you submit to God. And so if you're struggling and sin in your life and you're struggling in those areas and you know that Satan's getting his hand on you, understand this, you can't get his hand off of you until you begin to submit to God because God then helps you. It's in the power of the Spirit that we fight and we face these things. And so we, we submit to God, we, we come under his lordship, and we resist. We resist by being in the Word. We, we resist by praying. We resist by doing what we're doing today, worshiping with the body of Christ. We resist by worshiping throughout the week. We resist Him, and we fight against His lies. The next verse is incredible. Look at it. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. The point here is that there must be an active pursuit in our life. We must, must actively pursue God. There's an incredible promise. It's, it's like the prodigal son. If you're walking away from God and you come back, you will find the father running to you. 
Pursue him and he will pursue you. Draw, now, salvation-wise, he pursues us and he's behind even our pursuing, but, but there's a work that we must do. We must worship him and come back to him knowing that, that he runs to us. Worship him and, and you'll find him, you'll find him closer than the skin on your body. Worship Jesus and you'll find him more real to you than the chair you're sitting in. Actively pursue him, actively seek him in his word, actively and deliberately work on your fellowship with him. He'll fellowship with you. I had an epiphany um, this past week. I I, I posted it somewhere on social media, but I was talking about it. Um, I, I have this tendency in my life, I find something that really works for me. And I found this prayer journal that I was using and it was really working and things were going well and, and I was getting up early and I was, I was eager to do it and it, it went several weeks, even a couple months and, and then I just kind of got bored with it. And I told, I was just praying, I said, God, it's like I got spiritual ADD, I, I can't keep my focus on this. And I, again, it might have just been the coffee I was drinking, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you ever think that maybe I get bored with your formula? The reason you're bored with it is I'm bored with it. And maybe you ought to change it up a little bit. Deliberately work on your fellowship. Now, it's easy for me to say this in a sermon, but when your wife's sitting here, she'll use it against you later, okay? She's going to use this against me. But you got to deliberately work on your fellowship at home, don't you? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that, that kind of gets caught in a rut sometimes and, and I want to come home after working and, and sit in my chair and read or sit outside by myself. Kim has to remind me constantly that we have to deliberately work on our fellowship. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit. We have to deliberately work on that fellowship with Him. Now, what we want is the opposite. The Bible says, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. But we want God to draw near to us. And God, if you'll draw near to us and, and you'll let me experience your presence in some manifest way, then, then I'll come to you. God, if, if you'll make me feel like praying, I'll pray. If, you, if you'll make me feel like reading my Bible, I'll read my Bible. Listen, God doesn't offer the promise before the command here. He says, command, draw near to me. Promise, I'll draw near to you. As we draw near to God, there will be times when you won't feel like getting up. There'll be times when you're ready to go to bed. There'll be times you won't feel like reading the Word. You won't feel like praying. Do it anyway. Draw near to God. And those times when I've felt the least like praying are usually those times when God has the most to say. Now, let me just stop real quick because I was talking to a young mom who had young children the other day and and let me just encourage you, if you've got young children at home or, or you maybe, maybe you're taking care of a loved one and, and, and you're house-sitting and basically, you, you know, you're, you're constantly, I understand. You, you don't have an hour to give in the morning. You don't have an hour to give here or there. You don't have an hour, period. And if you're taking care of that newborn and, 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 and that baby's asleep, you're going to be asleep and you should be. Take advantage of the small moments. Take advantage of, of those moments when, when you're able to feed that child and, and, and as the baby's finally content, pray over that child and pray over your life. Take advantage of those small verses. You may not get chapters in your life that day. 
but you get one or two verses. Take advantage and work on the relationship with God. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. How do we pursue Him? How do we do this? How do we do it? I think the next point is very um, helpful here. It's, it's active obedience. If we're going to draw near to God, that means we have to go back to the first one. We have to submit to God and we have to resist the devil. And then we come to the place, draw near to God. Now look what he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Two things, cleanse and purify. And notice there's the outer life, cleanse your hands, and then there's the inner life, purify your heart. Work on the outer and work on the inner. And here's what you'll find is if you work on the inner, the outer starts taking care of itself. So treat it like a gardener. Get rid of the weeds. Get rid of the rocks. Get rid of the things in your life that, that stop you from submitting to God, that stop you from resisting the enemy. Understanding, actively pursuing God means that we do what God's called us to do. It all flows from that submission. Be thorough. Be thorough. No room for any sin. No room for any disloyalty. Cut it out. Pluck it up. Get rid of it. Draw near to God. Draw near to God, and in the light of His glory, get rid of darkness. Draw near to God, and in the light of His holiness, get rid of impurity. Trust the Spirit to help you. You do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this, just listen to me. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't just put the Bible under your pillow and go to sleep at night and expect to get anything out of it. You've got to actively pursue it day after day, moment by moment. In verse 9, we're, we're really, we're taken aback when we read what he says. And all of a sudden, he comes out with verse 9 and he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Some people think this is maybe the theme verse of the Southern Baptist Convention. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned. Don't be laughing. Turn to mourning. What's he talking about? James is using Old Testament prophet imagery. And what he's trying to say to us is, is don't treat sin like it's not a big deal. Actively lament over sin. Actively lament over sin. That means to weep over it. It means to pour your heart over it, to be broken about it. Look at the cross and realize just how terrible sin really is. I've quoted this a couple of times recently. I'm reading this book with a group of guys. It's not by this Paul Miller, but another Paul Miller. It's a book called A Praying Life, Paul E. Miller. I would recommend it to you. Very practical about how to pray. But he says this, if your life is lament-free, you aren't loving well. To love is to lament, to let your heart be broken by something. If we don't lament, if we, if we don't see our sin for what it is, if, if we don't retch away from it, if we don't mourn over it, if we don't weep because of it, our lack of lament will move us away from God and to cynicism. There are too many cynics in the culture today. And part of it is the church is not lamented over their own sin. We lament over the world's sins and the culture's sins, 
But do we lament over our own sin? See your sin and actively lament. I, I would encourage you, read the Psalms. They lament for us. David will pour his heart out to God. I used those a while back and lamented over some things in my children's life and lamented over some things in other people's lives. And, and I encourage you, it's a, it's a positive way to, to get the negative out where you're dealing with it and asking God to move in it. James comes back to the statement in, that he start, left us with in verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 10. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's like it's bookend. He's, he's put these two great verses and right in between are the things we've just studied. When you look at this, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Ray Pritchett said, it's a reminder for us to stay low. Don't raise yourself too high. Don't look at yourself beyond what you should see. Stay low. Stay humble. It's an incredible promise. He will exalt you. Stay low and he will exalt you. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who humble themselves for they will be exalted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. Exalt yourself before God and he will humble you. It's all the way through the Bible. So when we lament over our sin, we, we actively go low. We, we go back to submitting ourselves before God, and then God takes us up by exalting us and forgiving us and restoring us. So let me just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to think about the things that, that we've said today. I would suggest that you take this passage home and, and spend some time in it this week. But would you just... Come before the Lord now, and let me ask you as we go back through this again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Are there areas in your life where you are not submitting to God? I think we all know the answer to that. We all have those areas. Confess them and repent of them and turn toward God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Are there areas in your life that you've ceased to resist, that you've given into? Confess that. Draw near to him. Draw near this week. Come before God this week. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Deal with sin as the Holy Spirit shows you. Mourn over that sin, but then celebrate his grace because he gives grace upon grace. Humble yourself before him. Humble yourself before him and trust him. Trust him to exalt you in his own way. Father, I come before you. I thank you for the way we've tuned in today and listened. I thank you for your word. I ask you, God, that you'd speak very clearly to us now. What is it we should do today? What is it you would have us do right now, Holy Spirit? Let us be obedient to that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Now listen, there may be a public decision you need to make today. Tim and I will be here to help you with that. There may be a private decision you need to make, and you want to come and kneel, you can do that. Whatever it is God may be calling you to do, we give you the opportunity to respond. Let's stand together and sing. We'll be here to help you.
Make me an offering. 
side your own. I'll tell you a quick story about our guest over here, Gary. What, what did you play at Alabama? But what was, what was your official? So he was a kicker and a defensive back with Alabama. And he was also in student ministry. And Coach Bryant came to him. He can tell me if I told this wrong and said, you got to choose. You're a football player or you're going to be in the ministry. You, you basically can't do both. And and Gary felt called the ministry and, and left the football team and gave up that dream and incited and said, I'm going to follow Christ. Bear won the next two national championships. So. <laughs> Just one, right, Gary? Just one. <laughs> you know, it's not always that clear in our life, but it really is. Do we laugh or not laugh? Do we tell or not tell? Do we do or not do? Do we love or not love? I'm so thankful for the way our students, when, when someone comes and pray and they just, they just surround them. And, and, and adults do it as well. It just, it's a part of the Christian life to share each, each other's hurts and joys. So I want to encourage you to go out today, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to him, draw near, cleanse your hands. Do everything that he's told you to do in these verses. Do it all and humble yourself before him. Watch him exalt you. Amen. Don't forget, you don't have to worry about these two middle sections of chairs. The, all the side chairs have to be put up. The, the ushers are at the door. I encourage you to give. Gary will be here. Gwen's back there as well. If you're connected with him or want to know more about Mission Dignity. Thank you. Thank you.